The Rambam that we saw yesterday charted a path of vulnerability, which seemed at first a little bit engaging, scary. And the Rambam pointed out that if a person does something, something wrong to someone else, not only should he gain forgiveness from the person that he wronged, but he should announce his um, bad behavior, his his failure to to the to to everyone. And part of the Jewish process is that openness, what we'd call vulnerability, to admit in public what he's done wrong. And the Rambam holds that as a crucial component of this process of return and realignment of self to authentic connection. And that for us was a little bit surprising, but in a certain way, for me, deeply reassuring. Because as we began discussing yesterday, a world whereby the person that interacts with the people around me is an image of myself, but not an authentic representation, is a world of fractured connection. Because I'm projecting this perfect self or this semi-perfect self or this better-than-I-really-am self who's meeting with your better-than-you-really-are-self and those two people meet and interact and me and you never get to know each other. Because me and you have got all these murky, um, dark and sometimes ugly parts that don't get exposed. But ironically, sometimes by putting those out there, you break down the defenses which creates the barriers between people and therefore, arguably, Vulnerability is one of the most praiseworthy things that we could actually embrace in fostering relationships, but also just in terms of a real relationship with who we are, as opposed to people who are pandering uh, approval from the masses for a sense of worth, which of course is, first of all, unfounded, and secondly, um, extremely short-lived and fluctuating. So that's, that's just a brief sum-up of yesterday. I want to go a drop further because it's a little bit complex. And I want to embrace an idea from Rav Dessler, who, who says something which, which is unexpected. And he speaks about something. I remember a few years ago, there was a, there was a guy studying with us, and his brother was doing a documentary. And his documentary was on, I suppose it was like, it's quite a, it was like half humorous. It was about exploring different toileting habits throughout um, a range of cultures. So he phoned me up and we spoke about Jewish toileting. And I had enormous amounts to say. Enormous amounts. It's not only because I love the topic because my dad's a gastro. <laughs> and, uh, you know, talking about that kind of stuff for many people was not tabletop conversation, but for us it certainly was. And digestion rates and, um, you know, the the... the, the, the the quality of stool was something which is definitely up for discussion. Mm. There were some horrific moments when Dad stored so- samples in the fridge and there could be some disastrous confusions if you're looking for a snack late at night. <laughs> really? Well, I mean... No, I, no, no, I, no, no. I mean, yes, he actually stored them. Did, did I actually ever fridge. mistake one for the other? Thankfully not, but nevertheless... You never know what a fridge is used for until you know what a fridge is used for. Carossa. Oh my gosh. So, there's enormous amounts to say about Jewish toileting. In fact, it's like there's some like the fundamentals of Jewish faith rest around bathrooms, which is really odd. But look at this. 
if you, um, the way that the verse describes the idea of an idolatrous or a notion of spiritual antithesis to Judaism, the way those false gods, idols, spurious notions are concretized is by the fact that they don't go to the bathroom. <laughs> what is that? Idols. You know, idols don't make. Uh, where does it come up? It comes up in there's a series of verses which I don't know if it will be here. There we go. There's a series of verses which which we are certain is a custom for many congregations to say after they conclude Alenu. Altira mi pachad pitom. I think Chabad is a very strong. They 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 sing these they sing these psukim. I don't know if anyone knows the tune. Okay, good, good, yeah. That was that was that was that was very very average. <laughs> so this is really interesting. So the end of the project is va'ad seva ani esbol ani asisi va'ani esa. Ani Va'ani Espel Va'amalet. And it's almost a shame speaking that when you get older, I will remain unchanged. Um, when you get to ripe old age, I shall endure. I created you and I shall bear you. I shall endure. And the article writes and I shall escape. But really, Va'ani Espel Va'amalet. Amalet is often translated and I will go to the toilet, meaning I'll evacuate myself. What is that all about? It seems a little bit absurd. There's also another law that one of the criteria of a Jewish camp of war and has many practical um, halachic consequences for our day and age is having smelly excrement around. Not good. Meaning one of the practices in the Jewish camp of war and also within Jewish places of sacred places and even within a home if you'd like to engage in any what's called a Dovashim Kedusha, any kind of form of connection to Hashem, it has to be not smell bad. And so you not have some kind of bad smelling substance around. In fact, there was a tool that was given to every Jewish soldier, which was a small spade, so that when he needed to evacuate himself, um, I think it's politely referred to as he needed to have a movement, and it doesn't mean in terms of the classical music sense. I'll stop there. Um, and he'd have to go outside of the, the Jewish camp and he'd have to do what he needs to do and then bury it. And that was like this biblical requirement. Or like, well, it's like one of the things that the Torah took its time to, exp- to experience. Like, what is with that? What is that with it? So just to go a little bit about the notion of digestion, just as a concept. Digestion is a fascinating concept. Because uh, essentially, what it, what the digestive process does, speaking as a son of a gastro, there's you eat food, but food is a mixture of good and bad stuff, and the beautiful process of digestion is a sorting of taking all the good nutrients and filtering them, filtering them to the right places in your body, into your blood, and into your organs. 
and allowing all the waste products to be um, passed through the system and be expelled. That is awesome. Because if those waste products could not be expelled, they would become highly toxic and the person would die. So the process of the digestive process and the process of eating and disposing of waste products is a sorting process. That sorting process, metaphorically speaking, is very much the idea of choice. Choice is we're confronted by a world. And the world is a mixture of good and bad. And our purpose in reality is to take the good and bad tuvia and sort out the good in order to ingest it, allow it to revitalize us and dismiss the bad and discard it as waste products. So ironically, the digestive process and the expulsion of waste is an analogy to the human striving for sanctity and elevation. And therefore, the notion of being able to expose of waste becomes a suitable analogy to um, healthy, integrated living. And that's why the idolatrous practices are describes not being able to go to the toilet, meaning they have no capacity to sort the good from the bad. They take everything inside and they just keep it inside. They just ingest the world as is. And since there's no sorting process, so that becomes, of course, debilitating and certainly extremely bloating. But Desta takes it one step further, which I found, this is, this is new for me, and I'm I'm sharing with you, it's mamash literally fresh, fresh, fresh for me, and we can explore it together. We have humanity intuitively a revulsion for things which are stinking, which stink and are dirty. And that, that's a human thing. In other words, there are many animals that would love the opportunity to push their noses into a fresh pile of excrement. Not not as people, not as people. When we look at it, and we actually repulsed. There's a repulsion. Like, like I, don't even, I mean, I'm sure many of you have had some unpleasant experiences when you go into a bathroom which, which is broken. And uh, unfortunately, it, the, no one's been able to flush the change. For me, the way I experience it, I'm, I'm literally like, I, like I'm, I'm taken aback. Is that, uh, sorry, is that just me or does anyone else? So hold your breath before you go inside. Whatever I'm saying, that is, yeah. you you have that experience. Yeah, still water, sewage is worse than the world. So we have an we have almost an inbuilt repulsion. So, so this is what Rav Dessa says. So that's that's that, that's that's a given. Rav Dessa says a deep idea to what that means, and he brings it out from the verse. The verse says you need to have this spade on your on with you as your equipment, so that when you, when you need to make, you can go outside of the camp and then bury it. Um, and don't just like defecate within the campgrounds because because your camps have to be Kodosh. Kodosh means elevated, transcendent, holy, sacred. Why would it be not sacred for a person to perform their bodily functions within the camp? Avdesa says, because, listen to this, the human repulsion and revulsion and disdain for bad smelling waste is a external manifestation of a deep inner spiritual sensitivity 
a subtle movement of the soul that despises things which are not refined and things which are smelly, repulsive by nature. In other words, it's not that, it's not only, it doesn't stop at a physical, sensory withdrawal from the moment. That withdrawal is indicative of a deeper spiritual power that gets repulsed by anything which is dirty and low. And by extrapolation, a person that's repulsed by the waste product of his own or other people's bodies, when that point is refined, he could be repulsed by other waste material in the world around him. So what would be the waste material outside of the um, realm of um, literally foul-smelling excrement? Before we go there, there's another point that I didn't fully flesh out from Rav Desla, which was that, and if a person overcomes that repulsion, there's an actual spiritual descent that he experiences. In other words, a person who, as uh, do you know what one of the most interesting, Ariel, if I can just bring you back for one small moment before I let you go again. Do you know one of the most interesting... <laughs> One of the most interesting forms of idolatry was back in the day, there was this idolatrous practice known as Baal Peor. And Baal Peor, the way you worshipped this god was you defecated in front of it, which means you went to the toilet in front of the idol. Now, we look at them and we think, that's, that's odd, but that's exactly it. And I don't know, but but this is something which, which it, it's like I'm embarrassed to mention it, but I've heard of people who will reduce the you know what I'm talking about George drugs no the drug that you get you get yeah well that's that's one way of saying it George what are you thinking about water like water down hey water down I mean I don't know that sounds awful but 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 I've heard of people who will when they're in some kind of frenzy of pursuit of freedom they they'll have a sounds revolting an excrement fight mm-hmm. oh no yes um, which means like a food fight but just not with, with, with food when it's come no. out the wrong side yes um, so that, that, that's something which is which when, when like even thinking about that for me is like it's, it's repulsive but you see that it's, it's, there's a human capacity to get there the Rav Desla points out that there is a negative force inside of us which embraces dirt. 
it's, it's, he calls it a, a form of tumor, which is a form of spiritual dullness, numbness, sensitivity, desensitivity, which actually the, he brings it down actually from a mystical source, which is in the introduction to the Zohar HaKadosh, which of course is in the primary mystical text. And it says that there's, there's, there is a part of us which attaches itself to filth. Isn't that fascinating? That the actual, the external manifestation of filth is linked into an internal negative negative power. And by implication, cleanliness becomes a attunement with a spiritual pursuit of something which is clean. So the actual physical manifestations become linked to deeper strengths within. Isn't that, isn't, for me, that were this, for me, this is fresh, this is new, this is great. No, isn't it interesting? Because it shows the depth of the external experience. Then we look at the external experience, okay, whatever. No, it's all interlinked. We have this, this multi-tiered experience of, and some, some of it's on the surface, but a lot of it's deeply buried, but there's, there's an interconnectivity between it all. It's the depth of perversion. Right, right, right. You know, it goes deeper and deeper until it, like, it can become like destroying the human form. Right? Which I suppose was Baal Peor, where they actually, that became their worship. This like absolute filth became, you, you worship the filth. <laughs> Fascinating. You know that the Baal Musa, these great, um, in the last 200 years, they, they, they were probably one of the most insightful in terms of Jewish spiritual psychology, people that 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 that, that, that were around, and they were fastidious about things that other people didn't really pay attention to. For example, having a well-ordered and neat room, clean clothes. In Slabotka, which was one of these major yeshivas, there was enormous emphasis placed on the way you dressed. If you look at pictures, you literally see. Cool dudes. No one had the same color hat. Many of them had like these ornate canes, which weren't to help them walk. They were purely decorative, but so elegant with my cane and my fedora and my khaki suit. Well, not khaki, more cream suit, manila. It was, it was huge. And that was because, well, you know, you have to express your greatness in the way you dress. And if you dress like a, in a schlocky, unkempt fashion, so then there's a connection between that in a deeper place. So if you're feeling truly noble and great, well, that has to be reflected in the way you dress. Interesting. Isn't that opposite mm. we say? Yeah. The reason why I'm saying today the opposite of what we said yesterday is because that's what we need to do. In other words... It comes out, there's this tricky thing about vulnerability, which is taking the ugliness and pushing it out there. And now what we're discussing is taking the cleanliness and using that to manifest. But then we get trapped in, but isn't that just projecting an image of? Do you understand? Now we've hit the point of a joy, struggle, conflict. And things are never categorically, simply, simply like boxed in. So on the one hand, vulnerability, the power to essentially take my dirt and spew it out in front of you. And on the other hand, this almost 
detailed respect for cleanliness. And this, listen to this. Listen to this. The first few pages in the Talmud, in the tractate of Psachim, are devoted to exploring the need for refined speech. Not in terms of speaking badly about other people or gossip or Lashon Hara, but in terms of the way I phrase things. And this is what the Gemara says over there. There were two Kranim, and they were asked how much did they receive from their, um, their, their practice in the temple? What, what did they get to eat? And the one described his portion as the, he got as much as a tail of a lizard. And because he used a reptile to describe, which a reptile is also a creature that we are a little bit cautious of, and he didn't use a more lofty comparison, he was looked into and discovered that he really wasn't a, a queen. So you see that the need to speak, I know that there are teachers of mine that wouldn't say the word bad. They would say, lotov, not good. Mm. Not good. Because not good is more refined than bad. Um, a lot of a lot of people make an effort in 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 the elevated, you know, practices of Jews, and there's 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 people won't say the word they won't say they won't say the word hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly not. They won't use their word. They won't use their their tongue. Certainly not swearing. That's like that's like whoa. That's like that's like letting your tongue go to the toilet. Um, but even things delicate, way delicate things, like there's a Yiddish word which is called fres. Fres means to eat. But in Yiddish and in other Germanic languages, like eat and fret in Afrikaans, an animal eating and a human eating have got two different verbs. So in, in, in um, English, you say an animal eats and, and a human eats. In the Germanic languages, for example, Yiddish, a mensch essen, a person eats es, and a chaya fres, and a animal fress, use the word fress. So there were people who were very cautious that, you know, sometimes people say as a joke, he was fressing away, which means he was eating like an animal. They would never say that word in relationship to a human being. Extreme care. The Gemara in Psachim, and this is how it all comes out, in the Mishnah, it describes the need to check your house on the night of the 14th of Nisan to make sure that there's no unleavened st- Leaven stuff around, pedikat chometz. So you're not you're not you're checking for any kind of chometz. So the Gemara says, or la'abasa on the light of the fourteenth. The Gemara says, what do you mean the light of the fourteenth? Does that mean the morning? The Gemara says, no, the night. So why don't you say the night? It uses a euphemism because light is much more lofty, hopeful, spiritual, refined. Than even saying even saying the word darkness, even avo- avoiding saying the word darkness. So sorry. On the one hand, there's this absolute acceptance of vulnerability and taking all my negative stuff and spewing it out. And on the other hand, there seems to be a real deep sensitivity to making sure that <laughs> everything that I experience is refined, is clean on every level. And therefore, I think there's, there's room to, to ponder these two seemingly...
contrary paradoxical aspects and see how we can make forward in our own internal journey into this idea and combining vulnerability with pure experience of the moment and combining being who I am, just real and elevated living. You with me? Yes. You see the see the the room for finding where exactly where exactly it fits. It just to make it a little bit more exciting is even the idea of opening up and sharing faults and fallibilities. Maybe there's also context. Should I do it to, to my um, students and children? Should I tell them about all my faults, or should I hold them back? If I hold them back, I'm presenting a false image of self. If I reveal them, I'm exposing my frailties, and they may completely lose respect, mm-hmm. and they have no power to influence. Because the power to influence or to educate requires a certain amount of acceptance on the behalf of the student, which means a looking up to ideally an awe of who the teacher is and if the teacher is just 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 totally like me so then why do i care what he has to say what she has to say so this is a tricky but exciting exploration in authenticity being genuine being truthful being expressive yet at the same time refinement distancing ourselves from anything which is somehow related to dirt or filth or negativity and how do we marry this complex arrangement of seemingly contradictory ideas and that's a thought I'm going to I'm going to leave you with that thought to ponder it and to strive it and to grow from the question